Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Our adventure today takes us down to Nashville, and I'm so excited to talk with a, a longtime uh, friend of EAMC, a longtime friend personally for Paul and I, uh, Lori Shapiro. She's the director of digital marketing at Outback Presents. Lori, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you guys so much for having me. Great to see you guys. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, you too. it's great, and uh, it's, it's great talking to anybody these days, and, and let's, let's just jump right into it because, you know, at, at the time we're talking right now, you know, we were all feeling so good, right? And now we're not so sure about it. How how are things in, in Nashville? How are things at Outback? Yeah, things are very crazy here. Um, you know, we are we are moving full steam ahead as of right now, as if our health concerns will be taken care of by the people who manage that. And we are focusing on our clients and keeping them happy and ultimately putting butts in seats the safest way that we possibly can, adhering to local and state guidelines, of course. And, um, you know, tours are still going on sale and everybody is still uh, cautiously optimistic that we will be turning a corner in this thing. Um, you know, we all kind of came back full force. I expected nothing less uh, in May for the industry to go from zero to 1 million. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I thought maybe there's a chance we would ease into it and we didn't. And that's pretty normal when, when you really think about it. Um, yeah. so, you know, the volume is even heavier, I think, than it was pre pandemic for us at Outback. We spent the last year focusing on growing our team, um, fortunately for us at Outback, you know, nobody has lost their job and everybody um, was kept on payroll. And we've been focusing on, you know, growing our business and growing our team and stacking up our resources for when the return to live music and events came back, we would be fully prepared and ready to take it on. Um, and that's what we did. So I'm pretty proud of our company and, and the experience that we had over the last year. And you know, very hopeful that we can just keep it going and that we can safely have live entertainment fill our venues. Was it something on the promoter side that you all felt fortunate about being able to do things outdoors and kind of taking full advantage of amphitheaters and stuff? I, I get sort of the gist that obviously since outdoors uh, generally, you know, is much safer, and also just because of the timing of the last year, you know, kind of those amphitheaters never really got to have their season, you know, and they lean so much on that in the summer. So is that something that you all really went sort of full force into and to take full advantage of them while they're still open, you know, um, while the weather's, you know, nice and the more northern ones? Yeah, I mean, I think for amphitheater season last year, we kind of missed the boat on it when shutdown happened, it was like nothing was able to go on and that kind of included amphitheaters. 
by the time we've reached that stage at the end of summer and the fall where outdoors events were more um, likely to happen, I think there was still some hesitation about amphitheater operations and Outback doesn't personally own any venues. So, you know, we're at the mercy of those venues wanting to host events and, and feeling comfortable with the state guidelines. We did do a ton of drive-in shows, a bunch of our comedians. We had a very successful two runs with Bert Kreischer, Nate Bargatze, a few guys from the 85 South show did some drive-ins, um, Eliza Schlesinger. And then we concluded with a huge drive-in event at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena with Bert Kreischer and Tom Segura. Um, based on their podcast, Two Bears, One Cave, they did a Two Bears, One Bowl uh, outdoor drive-in event, which I was fortunate enough to attend. Um, it was awesome. Really, you know, it was like a festival meets a drive-in movie. You know, they had the whole um, vendors set up and everything was, you know, pretty safe. The speaker set up so that you could hear the show, even if you stepped outside your car. Very well run and organized. Um, but we're not in the drive-in show right. business. We're in the live event business. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, when May came around and we were able to start hosting events again, we felt very, very fortunate to be given that opportunity again. Um, I remember the first show that I attended post-pandemic, I think, was at the Ryman in Nashville um, during our Nashville Comedy Festival in June, I saw Sebastian Maniscalco. Oh, one of my favorites. David Spade. Um, and they were... Host of Bachelor in Paradise. Yes, right before he started filming <laughs> for that. And he is great on that. <laughs> was. I can't believe he's already done, but he was anyway. anyway. I know. So, um, you know, it was really amazing to sit in the pews at the Ryman and see live entertainment on the stage again. Um, and I hope that we can keep going with that. What a great first venue to return to for an event because, uh, you know, the Ryman just obviously having stood through so many stories, right, through so many disasters, through so many things that have hit Nashville and uh, America and the world, right, the place still stands the test of time. And I'd like to think our industry, it's kind of like the Nashville, uh, kind of like the the, the pews in the uh, the Ryman, a little uncomfortable sometimes, but still just, uh, uh, you know, it holds so much value and uh, uh, just a great, great place to go. Let me ask you a question because I kind of didn't want to jump back a little bit and ask you, you know, for somebody who's never had the pleasure of working with Outback, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about, about Outback. Yeah. So what I can tell you is my first time working with them. I was on the arena side at the AT&T Center in San Antonio. And, you know, the experience just felt, it just felt different. I talked to the marketing director almost daily on the phone via email and we were really it felt like an in it together approach um, on the show and sometimes you get that on the venue side and sometimes you don't you know when they're rentals and and that was just a different elevated experience for me and then when they actually came to the show uh, the director of marketing was touring as well and that was also unique for me that the person I was working with on marketing was at the show and I got to meet them. Um, and again, the experience was just like, as if we've known each other for 20 years, um, they were so accommodating to my requests and they really 
treated me as if I had value in helping the show be a success, which sold 20,000 tickets in the round uh, for an urban comedy show. So, you know, it was a huge success for everybody. Everybody was really happy. And I just had a really great feeling um, working that event. And so when they had an opening, um, maybe a year later or so, the interview process was pretty seamless for us because we were already felt like we were family. And so it was just a really good experience. And I think that we, you know, that's intentional that we call it the white glove treatment here at Outback. We try to treat our artists and our venue staff and everyone that we're working with on the show with the utmost respect and kindness. And, you know, this is live entertainment. Sometimes things are cutthroat, <laughs> but how you talk to people and the people in those positions um, says a lot about your character. And that's what's so great about Outback is the people here just have such great character and we carry that through into our work. And your current role there, you are the director of digital marketing. So, so what does that mean that you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Oh boy, what day is it today? <laughs> um, so the, the promotion into the digital marketing uh, director is relatively new for me. So right now I'm focusing on building out a team of digital marketing rock stars. Uh, we've recently got two marketing digital marketing managers. We're uh, specializing into a digital marketing specialist. We'll, we'll focus on our email, database management, communications, website management, and a social media specialist who will focus on really our socials and being a, a resource to our artist socials and uh, festival properties. So we're trying to specialize in our areas and be the best digital marketers out there that we can possibly be, take learning opportunities. And I'm focused on just growing my team and, um, you know, really just selling tickets. Digital marketing now is not really, in my opinion, a separate part of a marketing plan. Digital marketing is marketing now, and you got to reach people where they are. Everyone's on their phones, on their computers, on their connected TVs, you know, there's a million apps now, like what do we do to get in front of them and not just look like it's a sales message, but entice emotion and want people to attend these live events that we're putting on. You know, when I work with promoters, um, I find that, you know, from a, uh, a social perspective, there's three kind of things that I see. There's uh, promoters who totally go radio silent you don't hear anything from them. They, you just kind of post at your own free will. Then there's promoters who kind of say, here is your exact copy. Do not change it. Nothing is capitalized. This is not in your venue style, but you have to use it exactly like this. Or there's folks who kind of say, hey, you know, here are some great suggestions for you. And, uh, you know, obviously do what, do what works for you. Uh, you know, so, and, and it would kind of be a tough to balance depending on the artist you're working with and the restraints. So, so where are you guys falling recently? And, and what do you think is kind of best practices from the promoter to the venue side when dealing with, you know, social media on the digital side? You know, I think that we're trying to be a little bit more consistent in terms of feeding our venues content. Um, but having worked on the venue side, you know, there's a distinct relationship between the local venue on the ground and the local people on the ground. And we are a national promoter with one office 
And we don't know everything about every market. And we really rely on our venue relationships and our um, amazing venue marketing managers to lead that charge, you know, get in with your local relationships and your media relationships and talk to the people of your city as they, as you know, they want to be talked to. And not to mention your own brand guidelines and sponsors that you may have that you need to satisfy. Um, so we're pretty flexible in that regard. I think that everyone's always looking for good and compelling content and us included. So that's something that we're trying to get better at leading the charge about, you know, is just feeding a slew of options to people to choose, maybe having a uniform announcement video where no matter where you are in the country on a national tour, like that's what you're seeing on your feed. And from there on, like just having a back and forth dialogue, um, entertaining giveaway ideas and in-game giveaways and things of that nature that are unique to each venue. I think that's really important not to just plug and play. Every venue is different. Every market is different. You can do the exact same marketing plan in 18 different markets across the nation. And some of them are going to sell out right away and some of them are going to tank. And that's kind of the struggle and the challenge of being a national promoter. Now, so people know, would you say like rough percentages how much of what you all promote is comedy versus, uh, you know, music or something. I do feel like Outback is somewhat known for doing a lot of comedy tours, maybe more than your average uh, other large promoter. And I think that's something maybe you all hang your hat on a bit, which is something you should, but would you say it's kind of 50, 50 or, you know, do you all really lean into pursuing um, comedy clients and artists? Is it like a big focus of your strategy? So we don't have a comedy division and a music division. We are just Outback. Um, and we pride ourselves on having a really diverse roster and catering to a really diverse fan base, right? And diverse in the sense of like national, like we'll be anywhere from Canada to Seattle to Portland, Maine to San Antonio, Texas, right? Like all over the map um, and in all venue sizes as well. So I don't, even know the percentage off the top of my head. Um, and I really couldn't begin to, to calculate it. You know, we do have a strong, a strong relationship with comedy and we, but we are just live event marketers. They're really not that different. And music is our passion. Comedy is our passion. Festivals are our passion. Comedy festivals are our passion. We have two of them right now maybe growing towards more in the future. Um, and so, you know, we just want to satisfy the artist and bring an enjoyable and experience to the fans, no matter what they like. Lori, let's, uh, we, we've talked a lot about Outback, but let's get to know, know you a little better. Uh, you are a, a Philly girl, right? So uh, outside Philly, you know, uh, uh, grew up there, a uh, couple of older sisters, and then you uh, attended Penn State. So talk to me about how, when you kind of got the, the live entertainment music bug and how that happened. Yeah, it kind of happened by accident. And, you know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have the quote unquote story that I have. Um, I attended Penn State originally to be a special education major based on a, a high school job I had being a swim teacher for kids with special needs at a camp. Really enjoyed that experience. And I thought I was good at it. 
Um, so I wanted to pursue that angle and Penn State sold me on a good opportunity uh, on a program that I could do. Um, but I, I wasn't really satisfied when I started going through the classes and looking at the curriculum. So I thought, what else am I good at? And, you know, I always like made up random like poems or jingles and I thought, oh, okay, I can do advertising. <laughs> this, that doesn't <laughs> surprise me from what I know about you. <laughs> that simple, right? And um, so I went into the PR advertising track at Penn State. And one day, a guy with really curly blonde Afro hair came <laughs> to my class and spoke to us. And we all know I'm talking about Bernie Punt, the legend. And uh, he was the director of marketing at the arena at the time at Penn State. And he just kind of spoke to us about what he does and how he, you know, makes big splashes with event announces. And he told us, you know, he was teaching a class if we wanted to sign up. So I signed up and I think I got an A. I think I did relatively well in that class. We learned everything from booking a show to artist writers and marketing and settlement in just one semester. And it was really interesting. He, he mentioned he was giving internships to a select group, you know, low key, you had to go talk to him. And I think when I went and talked to him, he asked me, he said, okay, if we were doing a show at the Brace Jordan Center, which is really a college town, really, you know, run by college kids, the show's an older audience, like 50 plus, how, how do you market that show? And I was like, I have no idea, not a clue. <laughs> and he started throwing out all these ideas like, oh, well, the, you know, State College is actually a relatively big community. Um, and you would go out to the local bingo night and raffle off, you know, a pair of tickets to this raffle, uh, this bingo night that has, you know, 100 people attend um, and things of that nature. And it was just a very unique perspective. And I was fortunate enough to complete that internship with him and alongside Kate Clark, my mentors in this industry. And my internship ended with a show at the Brace Jordan Center. It was Keith Urban, Little Big Town and Dustin Lynch, who that, Dustin Lynch was just starting out at that stage. And Kate had mentioned to me that EAMC, you know, was a great experience. She was involved in the board. And if I was interested in an internship to apply. So I ended up in New Orleans in 2014 interning for EAMC alongside five other college kids that were interested in the industry. And I came out of it with a job in San Antonio at the AT&T Center. That's not the only thing you came out of. Uh, I believe you might have a, a couple of scars from uh, New Orleans. I mean, what a, I mean, what a, what a I think we all have a couple scars from New Orleans. But interns, you know, we're going to bring these, you know, this group of college students and set you free uh, in New Orleans on the on the evenings after the evening events. And uh, Lori, I still, you know, you ever have those things that you're just mortified by years later. And I still remember, uh, I think we were in the courtyard at Pat O'Brien's uh, and I dropped a hurricane and it was in the glass uh, bottle or the glass, you know, that they serve them in. I dropped it right on your foot and the glass shattered and went everywhere in the courtyard. And uh, it's still one of those moments, one of my least proud EAMC moments. <laughs> and she's never been well, the same. I forgive you, Dave. And, um, you know, I forgive you. And I don't think I've been exactly shy at EAMC conferences. You know, I like to hit the dance floor and have a good time. So um, <laughs> it's all good. Um, 
I'm fortunate enough to have come out of that conference with a job in New Orleans when we were all running down Bourbon Street. <laughs> so, how do you, but, so that's a that's a big thing that a lot of, you know, young, young folks, well, I know uh, a lot of them listen to the podcast looking for how do I get into this industry, right? So you made it to a conference, but what did you do to get yourself into that position where you would be considered for a potential job opening? So... In that particular conference, you know, I think that I, I think that not blending in and not being shy is really the key, right? Make your presence known. And EAMC does a very good job. If you're given the internship opportunity, they do a very good job putting their interns in the spotlight, highlighting them, saying their names, introducing them, having them walk around and do things like raffle tickets and directing people. Um, They're not just sitting in the back of the room taking notes and nobody knows who they are or what they're doing there. And so EAMC really caters and molds their interns to be a part of the community. I personally, after the conference, tried to remember as many people through the agenda book that I possibly could, went through it and typed out as many personalized emails with my resume attached that I could remember. Anyone that I couldn't remember, unfortunately, got a BCC (laughs) blanket (laughs) shirt. Hi, I was an intern, I'm looking for a job. I did get a few responses that were like, oh, I don't know who you are. I didn't even attend. I never ended up going. And I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, three out of 300 isn't too bad for mass (laughs) marketing yourself, right? Um, So in my particular situation, I I had met the marketing director at the time for the Spurs briefly through one conversation. And he remembered me. He had told me he had a job open up really that day. It was just great timing. And, you know, it was one of those opportunities that was like, okay, this is supposed to happen. I'm about to move my life from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to San Antonio, Texas. Not a lot of people from Philadelphia there. Um, so, <laughs> you know, people can tell just by hearing me talk. Oh, you're not from here. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, so that was an amazing experience. Um, you know, again, I think, I remember my manager telling me that he was hired with no team and he got thrown into the fire and he promised me that he would not do that to me. Eight weeks later, he got a job offer and accepted and abandoned me and threw me into the fire, even though he <laughs> right before we went and met Hulk Hogan um, at my first event that I was working, WWE. So... I learned by just doing it. I really messed up my first settlement. I cried. Uh, <laughs> I cried for a couple of days on. Oh, we've all had those days. We've all had those days. <laughs> and I kind of thought, what am I doing in San Antonio where I know nobody and I don't know what I'm doing in this job as a new college grad? Uh, but it all worked out. I experienced tremendous growth there. You know, I saw amazing concerts, worked with amazing promoters and grew in the role and grew in the department, you know, worked rock festivals and co-promoted Trans-Siberian Orchestra and just kind of learned the ropes, which prepared me for exactly what I signed up to do it in Nashville when I got there. Yeah, so you were there at the, you know, the AT&T Center, uh, became the senior marketing coordinator. You were there for, for three and a half years, uh, you know, and 
I think getting to work on the arena side is a big reason why you're able to be successful at your job now. Yeah, hundred percent. The arena side, you know, the Spurs are an amazing organization and they've got a huge staff. It was really just me though on the arena marketing and you had to kind of learn everything. You had to learn digital marketing. You had to learn radio, you had to learn TV, you had to form the relationships with all your media reps. I mean, we all know the grind, you know, you're a social media expert, you're a digital advertising expert, you're a media buyer, you know, you're, you're everything. And I really enjoyed that experience. And when I came into Outback, again, it was, we had five marketers at the time and everybody was doing their own stuff. Everybody was doing everything in their own realm. And just from an, a new person's observation, I was like, hmm, we're all doing this pretty differently. Like we should, we could be streamlining it. And, you know, I never thought I would end up in a digital role, which is mind blowing to me. Um, but I started talking about pixels and somehow they were like, oh, that girl belongs in digital. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kid you not. Um, still talking about pixels. It's 2021. And um, so they moved me over into digital marketing manager and, you know, I've just been pushing for a need to continuously grow our digital marketing department. And it's really just happened organically for us to, to get me where I am now. I think it is really good perspective that you were this kind of one person team in San Antonio, because now, you know, when you go into those markets, I think we've all worked with promoters that sometimes don't realize how strapped certain markets can be because they also work, you know, to be fair in markets where they might have a team of 12 people doing marketing and PR at one arena. And then you go into another market and there's two people doing a convention center and an arena and a theater and an amphitheater. And it's, you know, it can be vastly different. So I think that is a good thing that you have that perspective of knowing what that grind is like, because now when you're going in and approaching those markets, you know what, what kind of burden, you know, sometimes that can be on people that are, you know, running a really tight ship. Yeah, 100%. And I tried, that's a, that was a really big advantage for me moving into the promoter side. I don't think that I would have been, you know, cut out for my job necessarily without that experience. Uh, I think that that my venue experience is a hundred percent like attributed to the success that I have as a promoter, just because of that, you know, knowing exactly what that work-life balance or lack thereof is. <laughs> So you kind of told us a little bit about that, you know, how you got uh, interested in Outback. So, but walk us through, what was that like? What was that move like really from, you know, the AT&T Center in San Antonio to Nashville? The move itself? Well, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. How, how did the boxes go? Were the trucks, was the truck loaded up okay? <laughs> was a change in market? Is it a change in position? And I know a lot of people in this industry that are on the arena side have that question about, could I ever work on the promoter side of things? Yeah, um, the market, well, I was experiencing market shock when I moved from Philly to San Antonio, and I thought, gosh, I'm going to move to a new market again where I don't know anybody and have to start all over, and tell you what, as you get older, that is incredibly hard to do, um, especially when you're working around the clock, you don't really have time to, you know, I felt like I wasn't getting the Nashville experience even because I was still working all the time instead of going out to Broadway. 
But, you know, the job transition was pretty seamless. You know, we all do very similar things. You're just, you're doing at a different level, you know, in the life cycle of, of an event, you're either pushing the information up or receiving the information to push on to the next. You know, it's kind of like a, a conveyor belt of information that kind of just flows from the artist team to the agent, to the promoter, to the venues, to the media, to the local fans on the ground. And we're all an integral part of that, you know, machine functioning. So it's it's pretty seamless, I think for, for me it was to transition. But I think that working for a national promoter, you know, that's, that's really where the learning curve was for me. It's like, I got to know San Antonio and I could, I don't even think I really got to know it in three and a half years. But now if I do a show in San Antonio, I know exactly what to do and where to, to reach the right people. We sometimes go into markets that I don't even know how to say the city name. Um, and, and, you know, I say it wrong because I have the Philly accent or whatever, right? So that's really the difficult part. And that's where our venue marketers come in to, to help. Like we need to know the lay of the land and, and we need boots on the ground. Laura, you mentioned, you know, obviously uh, uh, being a Philly girl, uh, but you spent the last six years, so a good chunk of your adult life has been in the South. Are you are you a Southern girl yet? No, I'm not. Um, you can probably hear it in my voice, but, you know, Nashville is an interesting place because it's not exactly Southern. You know, it's known for being quote unquote Southern, but it's a melting pot of people. In fact, my closest friends here 75% of them are actually from Philly and we've met up here in different stages of our life to reconnect. So it's an interesting place for sure. You'll, you'll walk into the Eagles bar and find the people from Philly that share the same, you know, rooting for the Eagles as well. So it's an interesting place for sure. I, I think I've had more of a cultural shock in San Antonio. There was less people from all over in that city, um, where Nashville's just, a lot of people are moving here. I think like a hundred people move here a day is this, the latest statistic I heard. I'm not, I'm not shocked. Uh, you, I mean, I think we all hear about the, the explosion happening, all the, all the construction, you know, just, just constant, you know, big time expansion and housing. And I'm sure also that is affecting the market. I'm sure the uh, cost of living is going up, but it's also, you know, making it a really ripe place for entertainment because you've got a lot of people with a whole lot of interest. So it's gotta be a really nice place to promote shows too. Yeah, it's almost, you know, as a young adult who wants to go to shows, it's almost like, oh, there's too much going on here because I wanna go to all these things but I'm missing out because I just can't sustain that level of activity anymore. Like I need to go to bed at 10 if I'm gonna be productive at work. So it's a constant battle of like, what limits can I push? <laughs> so when you're, a, when you're a local, how often how often do you make it out to Broadway? Do you just completely avoid the bachelorette parties and the, the bars on bikes and all that stuff or do you, do you get, get down there every once in a while? Yeah, I've been there once in the past year and a half and more so for health and safety reasons. Sure. <laughs> um, but I think Broadway is always a concern for health and safety reasons. I was going to say that that's not just pandemic. <laughs> no, but that's like the local 
you know, if you're not getting COVID on Broadway, you might be getting something else. Um, it's, it is <laughs> madness. You know, I think it's about time soon that they're going to start shutting down the street like they do in New Orleans and they do in Austin and not allow like cars driving at after a certain time because the mobs of people, I, I had someone from New York come in and they said that it looked more crowded than Times Square. You know, just the amount of people pouring out onto the streets and constantly going into the bars. It's extremely exciting. What, you know, if you're feeling down, all you have to do is take two steps onto Broadway, hear the live music from any bar standing outside of it. And you're just like, holy shit, I live here. Holy crap, I live here. Um, <laughs> Um, and you're, you know, sometimes I forget that it's in my backyard. I can walk there from work. So it's really interesting being a local in a place like this. So what's the, what's the vibe in, in Music City right now? Is are people, is it just kind of a, a big uh, free for all or what, what is the kind of feeling in the city as we're kind of, I want to say rounding the corner of this pandemic and kind of in its last little funky stages, knock on wood. Yeah, Nashville, you know, we're again like meeting needs of all of our artists. Different events have different requirements is what I'm finding lately. Some events, you know, the negative test and the vaccine or vaccine are required. Some events are recommending masks, but there's no real requirements. It's kind of different um, event to event just based on what the artist wants and and maybe what the venue wants at the time. People are really enjoying being back at shows here. I think everybody's been dying for them. And I'm sure that that is the feeling in other cities as well. But, you know, there are shows happening daily here right now. And I think everybody is just praying that we can continue to keep experiencing these things. Yeah, I mean, the smile on people's faces is just, you know, you haven't felt this feeling in so long and you forget, you know, what live music and the connection that you feel to like your favorite artists um, does for people. And, you know, we, everybody needs something to lift their spirits right now. So that's been really incredible to watch, especially we've put on a few as well. I have to think too, Nashville more than almost any city was probably affected by that live music shutdown because, you know, we, we all felt it in the industry and every, everyone goes to live shows everywhere, but man, Nashville is known for that, you know, more than anything else in Nashville, it's known for that live music energy and experience. So I'm sure when it shut down, it felt it more than anywhere else. And also made it even more eager to reopen because it's part of its, you know, lifeblood of the whole city. It's why people move there. It's why they come there. So uh, I'm sure they're very eager and excited to kind of have some, some of that energy back. Yeah. I mean, it's in our culture, it's in our blood and, and not even just the big scale events, but the small independent artists that are playing at bars or playing at, you know, musicians corners and um, songwriting sessions and just trying to get their stuff out there to maybe get a break or have a living. I mean, I think those are the ones that that's what suffered the most is that more like low key, like really intimate music experiences that go way beyond Broadway and even beyond like our largest venues is just music is everywhere um, in the city. And, you know, it, it's the vibe, like, it's what 
people want to see when they're having uh, casual drinks or dinner somewhere, you know, is just that background live acoustic music where you're just like, holy crap, those people are so talented and you just have talent everywhere. So those people getting the opportunity to, to play their stuff and just have expression is, you know, it's been really great to see again. Lori, earlier you mentioned your mentors. You mentioned specifically Bernie and uh, and Kate Bean, uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, the role that they played in your career and helping you grow into who you are today. But but now you're kind of in that position where, you know, you have that voice that can impact those young folks that are starting out in the, this industry. There's a lot of folks who were maybe on the edge of getting into this industry who now have found careers in other places because of the shutdown, whether by choice or because of, you know, what options are open. But talk a little bit, talk take just a moment if you would, and, and what advice for success would you give you know, that 22-year-old who's thinking about, you know, they're going to they're gonna graduate here soon, and they were thinking about getting into the live event industry, you know, what, what's, the, what's the Lori Shapiro key to success? <laughs> um, utilize every relationship at your disposal is number one. You know, a recommendation goes a very long way. Applications are almost impossible to break through the clutter. And having the in, the direct referral is really, I think, still the key to success. You know, beyond that, for applications that I am looking at, people are really buttoned up these days with uh, portfolios and websites about their work. And I'm looking at them like amazed that, you know, they've taken the time to put this together um, and really just showing like not only like your passion, but your skills what makes you different how are you valid how can you be valuable to the company not just i really want to work in music but i can be a good asset to your company because like you need to make it about them even though you're in the corner wanting it to be about you and i think that that's some a mistake that people make is we really want passionate people about entertainment but we're looking for someone to sit in the seat that is going to help us function more efficiently and you know good people is the first thing but then how can your skill set be an, an asset that's great i love that and i think there's just you know again it's it's so neat to watch that cycle you know to see you know you move from that uh that intern at uh at, down in new orleans to uh you know working there at outback as the you know director of digital marketing and, and see your success so congratulations and uh, and i really appreciate you sharing your adventure with us today. Before I let you go, I'm going to hit you with the fast five. It's five quick questions. All we're just looking for your your immediate response. First up, what was your first concert? Um, I think it was Britney Spears and In Sync. How about your favorite concert? Red Hot Chili Peppers. What's your go-to guilty pleasure food? Does wine count? <laughs> Absolutely yes. <laughs> Red or white? Red these days. Uh, what's uh, uh, well that 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 answers my next question, which was your favorite adult beverage. Definitely wine. <laughs> uh, last question, uh, Lori. Uh, what is your theme song? So there's a, a reality TV show all about you, and over the credits to the Lori Shapiro show, what song plays uh, as your theme song? 
Well, it's been known that I sometimes break out the Eminem just lose it rap. So, it's you know, true. I've, I've witnessed really sure. this on multiple occasions. I'm not really sure about the lyrics being an accurate depiction of my life, but I'm going to have to I'm going to have to go with that one. You could rewrite them just like you're writing your own jingle. You are losing yourself in the music. You know? <laughs> yes. Hey, you own it. You never let it go. Yes. <laughs> hey, Lori, before we do let you go, uh, would you uh, please shout out any uh, social media uh, for you or Outback? Any, any plugs you want to hit here? Sure. Outback Presents. You can follow us to see what we're up to at Outback Presents. You can follow me on Instagram at Lori.Shap and on LinkedIn at Lori A. Shapiro. Thank you so much. I really loved getting to know a little bit more about your history and, and appreciate uh, you taking the time on, on when I know it's busy for all of us right now. So thanks for uh, joining us and uh, great talking to you. Thank you guys so much for having me. And a big thanks to everybody for listening to Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Ruttleberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.